Abba Father, we praise you for your kindness and love this morning. You've adopted us as your sons and daughters. You've clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. You've filled us with your spirit. And so as we open your word, we ask that you would open our hearts. That we might see ourselves clearly as the masterpieces you created us in Christ to be. And lead us to walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. At the beginning of last December, two events occurred almost simultaneously that would define the trajectory of my year. The first was an application process to receive a sabbatical grant for next summer. And the questions that the application invited me to ask, to answer, unraveled me. And I came to a deep conviction of how poorly I'd been taking care of myself emotionally and spiritually. Then in an intense backyard basketball game with my boys, I sprained my ankle hard. It was very painful. And going to the doctor, going to physical therapy, and eventually coming to the place where I engaged a physical personal trainer, I came under the deep conviction of how hard, how difficult it is for me to ask for help and allow others to care for me. And these two providential events led to what I am still experiencing as a really beautiful healing process that's also included counselors, spiritual directors, and friends who have loved me incredibly well over the past eight months. And over these past eight months, it's been really painful, the internal and external work that the Lord has loved me enough and cared for me enough to walk me through. Over these past eight months, perhaps more than any other time in my life, I've remembered how desperately I daily need God's grace and mercy and how desperately I daily need gospel community. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Galatians 5, 26 through 6, 2 this morning. In your blue Bibles, that's found on page 975, 975. Being filled with the Spirit and walking by the Spirit is not some private experience simply for our own spiritual edification and growth. Being filled with the Spirit and walking by the Spirit has an incredibly positive effect on how we relate to one another. 
And in this very short passage, uh, it's packed with two uh, practical principles for how we love one another as Christ loved us. And that's the big idea here, is the amazing difference that the gospel makes in our relationships and that gospel community makes in our lives. And so as you see there, in order to emphasize the positive, Paul begins in the negative. Look at chapter 5, verse 26. He says, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's an interesting way to start. But nothing impairs our relationships. Nothing impairs gospel community more than conceit. This is why Paul begins here. Conceit is a deep insecurity rooted in a perceived absence of honor and, and, and praise that leads to the pursuit of self-glory. It's the self-centered drive of the flesh to grab honor and praise for ourselves. I'm reading a really good book called Glittering Vices. I don't know if any of you have heard of Rebecca DeYoung. She's a professor at Calvin College, and she's writing some really helpful and encouraging things for the church right now. Um, and in her book, Glittering Vices, she prefers the King James translation of this word conceit, which is vainglory. How many times have you heard the word vainglory used in context uh, appropriately in the last month? Vainglory, let's bring it back. It's a good word. And she describes vainglory as the excessive and disordered desire for recognition and approval from others. Vainglory, an emptiness that leads to grabbing, to seizing, honor and place, glory for ourselves. And she goes on to describe how vainglory is the attempt to prove our worth and to gain attention and approval and the applause of others. And that we do this by comparing ourselves with one another. How hard we work, how much we get paid, who has the best grades or toughest extracurricular activities, who's the better leader, who has the cleanest home, or found the greatest diet or workout regimen, or who's the most spiritually healthy and mature. All of these ways are how we, in our flesh, seek honor and praise by comparing ourselves to others. And whenever we experience the deterioration of a relationship, the reason is almost always conceit. Because conceit or self-glory leads to comparison which Paul says results in either provocation or envy. 
in the leadership in, uh, intensive course, we say this, comparison is the economy of the devil. And nothing will distract you more from your identity as God's masterpiece. Comparison is a work of the devil. It's a move of the flesh. It's not helpful. What Paul is saying here is in the negative in order to emphasize the positive, but this is really deep. This is really rich and profound truth here. Conceit leads to provocation. Why? Because conceit gives us this false feeling of superiority. And so we challenge others to a contest. We're so sure of our superiority that we want to demonstrate it. And we become kind of like William Wallace with blue war paint riding around on a great white steed, rallying the masses to our self-aggrandizement. Where are you going? I'm going to pick a fight. Favorite part of that whole movie. I'm going to pick a fight. In our conceit, we provoke and pick fights with one another in order to prove our greatness. We dominate rather than listen. Seize rather than surrender. And resist help when we should be crying out for it. We exaggerate to impress. We belittle someone in order to build up our reputation. And we complain and criticize so that we might see better than and be held in higher esteem. Conceit leads to provocation. It's a work of the flesh to seize honor and glory. Second, Paul says, conceit leads to envy. Provocation and envy. Which one do you tend to struggle with the most? Envy is a really ugly thing. We become jealous of the blessings of others because we see them as less deserving than we are. And because we believe we're more deserving, it's hard not to be mad that others get what we think we deserve. And this makes it nearly impossible not to crave and covet what they're wrongfully enjoying in our place. You see how dark this is? In our envious self-glory, you know what happens? In the darkness of our heart, we actually accuse God of being unjust and unfair, which no good God could possibly be. Therefore, we elevate ourselves to the place of God with an attitude that we could certainly do a better job. DeYoung says, to give up vain glory requires us to relinquish our place at the center of attention and admit from beginning to end, it's not about me. Conceit 
pursuing honor and praise, seeking glory for ourselves, leads to provoking and envying. This is a devastating, sinful pattern of the flesh, not a godly characteristic of walking in the Spirit. And Paul sets up conceit as the greatest threat and detriment to our relationships and to gospel community. He starts with the negative in order to emphasize the positive. So look what he says. Rather than being conceited, seeking self-glory, challenging one another and envying one another, followers of Jesus, led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, seek the glory of God by loving one another as Christ loved us. This is what Paul says earlier is the only thing that counts. Faith expressing itself in love. Let's look at chapter 6, verse, chapter six verses 1 and 2. Paul answers the question, how do we love one another as Christ loves us? And how does faith express itself in love? Two things, very powerful, short but packed with practicality. Verse 1, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. The first way that we very practically love one another as Christ loves us is to restore one another. We love as Christ loves us by picking up one another. When a person stumbles, what happens? Their first need is to get up. And often they need assistance doing so. Like when I'm laying out on our driveway in our backyard, screaming way more than the pain probably that I really was experiencing. The first thing that I needed to do after falling was to get up and I couldn't do it myself. I needed help. Um, recently, I was... Uh, at a new gym, and I was trying out the rowing machine. Any of you ever been on one of those rowing machines? It was the first time I'd ever been on the rowing machine, and uh, the instructor was kind of helping me get ready and kind of showing me how to do it, and I strapped my feet in, and I got on that small seat, and uh, they said, okay, get, get it going, and I rowed back, and I rowed completely off the back of the seat, Okay. <laughs> So I'm laying on the ground with my feet in the stirrups, still holding on. I'm not letting go, right? Like I'm water skiing or something. Still holding on, uh, completely embarrassed, but unable to do anything. And so the instructor literally had to come over and pick me up, which was not an easy feat, and put me back on the seat. And then I had to pretend like it never happened for the next hour, you know? Uh, and I couldn't help but 
think, what if I'd just been left there? What if I'd been left to my own abilities to figure it out myself? I know one thing. I would have never gotten back on a rower. And I probably would have never gone back to that gym. And what is true in the natural is often true in the spiritual, isn't it? And so the point here is that an integral part of gospel community is helping one another get back on our feet spiritually when we sin, when we fall short of the glory of God, when we fall out of right relationship with God and with one another. And Paul describes how we do this. He says we don't overlook someone caught in sin. You know what that's like? Yeah, I do that. The word caught here indicates being overtaken or being trapped by sin. It refers to a pattern of unhealthy behavior that gets repeated habitually in our lives. And the appropriate response is not being quick to criticize or condemn, nor being slow to confront and care. It reminds me of the parable of the Good Samaritan. To love one another as Christ loves us, we don't overlook one another. We don't pass one another by. We don't become too busy or too self-important. Rather, we stop, we take the time, and we lend what aid, what care we've been able, we're able to give. We don't overlook someone. We stop and care for someone. And the word for restore here is a really cool word. And really what it refers to is putting a dislocated bone back into its proper place or setting a broken bone so that it heals correctly and mends wholly. And what Paul is conveying is that sin is broken, disordered identity. It's being out of place in our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with one another. And at its heart, restoration is about returning to a right relationship with God, ourselves, and one another. And the truth is, is that we need others to help us in that process. It may be painful. It may take time. It may take more than just one person to reset, restore us. But it will be good for us. And it will be good for the whole body of Christ. And because we're mending what was displaced or broken, we restore not with harshness, but gently. And that begins with examining ourselves, acknowledging that we're not above the same sin, considering how we've fallen in the same or a similar way, and giving thanks 
for the mercy and grace of God who's forgiven us and restored us time and time and time and time again in the past. This is what Jesus means when he teaches us to acknowledge the plank in our own eye before we attempt to remove the speck from the eye of somebody else. We don't restore harshly. A person who's critical and judgmental as they attempt to help a fallen believer is trying to fix them in their own image and likeness. Not showing the truth and grace of the gospel and restoring them to the image and likeness of Christ. God restored us to himself through Christ and God has given us his people, his gospel community, the ministry of restoring one another to him. It's one of the greatest ways that we can love one another as Christ has loved us. God loves you. And he's put you in this community, this community of faith, because he wants to reveal your spiritual needs, your emotional needs, your physical needs, so that those around you, sitting to your left and right, in front of you and behind you, may be instruments of the Holy Spirit to restore you to God and the good and perfect purposes that God has recreated you to enjoy in Christ Jesus. So I want to ask you a question. I'm actually going to give you about 15 or 20 very uncomfortable seconds to talk and listen to God on this one. What is it in your life that's broken and needs restoration? Who in this room will you ask to help you? What is it in your life that's broken and needs restoration? And who in this room has God given the desire and ability to partner with him to help you by loving you as Christ loves you? Loving one another as Christ loves us entails gently restoring one another when we sin. Not if, but when. Secondly, we love one another as Christ loves us by carrying each other's burdens. Look at verse 2. Carry each other's burdens... And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We love as Christ loves us by carrying one another's burdens. Burdens are heavy loads. Heavy loads that are difficult, if not impossible, to lift and carry on our own. Broken wrists. Unreconciled relationships, unhealed father wounds. And burdens lead us 
to humble ourselves, ask for help, and depend upon others for hope and healing. This is the joy and the blessing of gospel community, that we're not alone. God is our ultimate source of strength, and on him we're called to cast our burdens. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And yet, here's the key. The Lord comes alongside us and lifts our burdens and carries our concerns in the context of gospel community. God relieves his people through his people. Welcome to church, the people of God, the body of Christ, where we are interconnected with one another, interdependent upon one another for the health and joy of the whole. That's God's design for the church. That's who we are. And to carry someone's burden is to love sacrificially. Like Christ loves us, it requires time. It requires effort. It is not easy. It's so often uncomfortable and even draining. And yet it's how we're called to fulfill the law of Christ, his greatest commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Several weeks ago, I did get permission to tell this story. Several weeks ago, um, Ben and I went on a backpacking trip. We went up to Wyoming and we had a three-day immersion that uh, we went about five or six miles in uh, up to about 11,000 feet, had an incredible time, didn't see anybody for four days, caught a bunch of fish, ate a bunch of fish, uh, had a great bonding time with one another. It was glorious. And then we came back down, we spent the night, we packed our backpacks way too full. I mean, they were heavy, ready for our next five-day immersion. And as we started heading out into the Snowy River Range, we got about four miles and we got to this lake where we were going to go around the lake and go over the top and then down and camp in the next valley. And uh, in order to get around the lake and over the top, we had to cross this boulder field. There was no trail. It was just boulders, different size boulders, some were steady, some were super wobbly, and it was very, very difficult walking. Remember, I had a double high ankle sprain in December, and as you might know, Ben has had double knee surgery in the last 13, 14 months. Okay, so here we are with 40, 50-pound packs uh, after a lot of hiking, walking over this really tumultuous boulder field. And we got to the top I was a little surprised I made it. We got to the top and we sat down and Ben said, Dad, 
I can't go any further. And I said, Ben, is it because of the weight of your backpack or is it because your knees are hurting? And he said, Dad, it's both. And we sat there and we, we got out a little bit of a snack. Incredible view. Looking down at the other lake with an entire other boulder field around it in order to get to the valley where we're supposed to fish and camp. And Ben eventually says, Dad, I can't do anymore. And I turned to him and I said, Ben, there are definitive moments in a man's life that are marked by what we choose to do and by what we choose not to do. And I want to tell you right now how proud I am of you for owning the fact that you don't feel comfortable going forward. I'm so proud of you. You know your limitations, and you're making a very wise decision, taking the big picture, the long-term picture, into account. I'm just so proud of you. And in my heart, I'm a little relieved myself that we're not going on. i got to be honest. <laughs> and he says, well, well what are we going to do? And I said, well, here's what I think. I said, how about, um, how about I take my backpack down to the valley? Uh, and you say, sit here and continue enjoying this view and your snack. And then I'll come back up and take your backpack and we can walk down together. And he says, okay, that sounds like a good plan. And as I was getting ready to go, I said, Ben, hey, if I take my backpack and I go down without you and you stay here, you have to promise me that you're not going to change your mind and pick up your backpack and come follow me. And he's like, okay, I promise. So I take my backpack down, lay it in the middle of a field, come back up, take his backpack, and we walk down together and we spend... Uh, the next several hours just enjoying that meadow and a couple of lakes and just walking around uh, and considering how we're going to go into town and have a big celebration, steak dinner, and just started talking about the good things that have happened on our trip so far. I want to give you just a few seconds to talk to God, to listen to God in response to this question. What is it in your life that you cannot carry by yourself? And who in this room will you allow to help you? What is it in your life that you can't carry by yourself? And who is it in this room that God's given the desire and the ability to help you as an act of love as Christ loved us? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble 
with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. As we walk by the Spirit, we are led into harmonious relationship with God and with one another. And in that love, our faith expressing itself in love invites us to gently restore one another to God and sacrificially carry one another's burdens. It's how Christ loves us. And it's the joy and the blessing of gospel community, of following the Lord together with grace. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Philippians 2, 1 through 8. This is how Jesus loved us into gospel community, and it's how we are to love one another as a gospel community. It's not, I'm better than you, and I'll prove it, or you're better than me, and I resent it. It's, you're a person of great worth and value and dignity because God made you in his image and likeness because Christ died for you and therefore it is my pleasure and privilege to serve you. You are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus and it is my honor and privilege to love you as he loves me. Let's pray. Abba, Father, in your loving kindness, you've brought us out of darkness into light, out of sin into righteousness, out of conceit into love. And as we come to the table this morning, lifting up our hearts, holding out our hands, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit again. Unify us as your people, and lead us to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to you. Amen.